Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, Alicia here. Thank you for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure. Alicia, I know you were pretty taken by Kissinger delaying the beginning of the premiere of The Godfather just by being a famous guy present. So you have another TV mobster for us? I have got a Godfather connection. Mm -hmm. I am bringing you this week from your Godfather of government last episode (laughs) to the Godfather of the Sopranos this week. I have the story of James Gandolfini. Oh, sure. Tony Soprano. Who will become a television legend through that portrayal. Tony Soprano, the leader of the Mafia family in HBO's The Sopranos. A terrific show, considered one of the greatest television shows of all time, Mm -hmm. but at what a cost to James Gandolfini. Hmm. As Tony Soprano, Gandolfini perfectly showed the complexity of his character, making audiences go between... Loving him, fearing him, hating him, being amused by him, and sometimes even feeling compassion for him. It was through mostly his enormous talent and charisma that he was able to make a murderous and scheming and sometimes diabolical character one of the most understandable and even beloved anti-heroes ever possibly written. Many critics credit the Tony Soprano character as paving the way for what we would call morally dubious television protagonists that would become popular in later television shows like Breaking Bad, Boardwalk Empire, Mm -hmm. Dexter, Mad Men. Mm -hmm. We do love a good muddled hero, don't we? Ah, anti-hero, so good. Gandolfini was undoubtedly the leader of a remarkable ensemble cast that would end up in the run of The Sopranos being nominated for 308 awards. Wow. Winning 91 of them. Oh my God. I did not realize it was, I mean, I know it was a monster hit, but I didn't know 300 plus. Wow. Winning 91 Mm -hmm. during a six season run. However, James Gandolfini is what we're here to talk about today with all of his professional success. He really did struggle with personal demons and some relationship troubles. So today, our story, televisions, The Godfather. Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini, it is time to go, go, go. And in our Anything is Better than Henry Kissinger episode (laughs) this week, James Joseph Gandolfini Jr. was born on September 18th, 1961, Virgo baby. He was born in Westwood, New Jersey. Both of his parents, uh, remarkably enough, going to be hard to believe, were Italian. (laughs) His mother, Santa, grew up in Naples. His father, James Sr., obviously, was born in a small town in rural Italy near Milan. Hmm. James Jr. was raised in a devout Roman Catholic working class family. I'm shocked. (laughs) James, as a kid, was outgoing and popular this is kid is a teenager, doesn't go away. He's voted class flirt hmm. and best looking in high school. Well, well. James graduated from Park Ridge High School in 1979, where he, of course, was involved in theater. 
After high school, Gandolfini attends Rutgers University and graduates with a degree in communications. Awesome. Before he goes to college, though, James Gandolfini was a little hesitant and nervous if college was perhaps the right choice for him. Later, he remembers. <laughs> then I got there and I thought, geez, 50,000 18-year-olds in one place? What the hell was I complaining about? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I was around a lot of fun people and I had a ball. I had more fun than somebody probably should have. <laughs> well said. What the hell was I complaining about? Right. James will move to New York City after college where he works as a bouncer. Making some big moves from bouncer, eventually he becomes a bartender and then goes on to managing nightclubs. His friend convinces him to take an acting class at Actor's Studio. Which, if you're going to go take an acting class, like, go to the Actor's Studio. That's a good one, yeah. James Gandolfini goes and realizes that acting was... What he wanted to do with his life. Oh, that bug bites. Oh, that bug. All over the place around here. James then begins studying to become a professional actor while working as a delivery man to support himself. Hmm. He'll appear in a few plays and has some small roles in films before getting noticed on Broadway when James Gandolfini appears in 1992's production of A Streetcar Named Desire with previous Trashy Divorces alum Alec Baldwin and Jessica Lange. So not a shabby start, really. Jessica Lange and Alec Baldwin, Broadway, Streetcar Named Desire. Pretty All good. sounds good. Yeah. In 1993, the following year, James Gandolfini had his first movie part, that really got him noticed. He plays a mob enforcer mm. in the movie True Romance. Okay, I have seen it, but not any time recently. Many people thought his performance actually stole that show, even though he appeared with such major Hollywood stars in that film, like Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Gary Oldman, Dennis Hopper, mm -hmm. Christopher Walken, and Brad Pitt. Okay, so I'd if you're actually, the scene stealer in True Romance... Yeah, that's a great point. I had actually forgotten... I, I remember Dennis Hopper. Anyway, continue. Oh, Dennis Hopper's coming back around on my Trashy Divorces guitar. I'm sure. I had him in my sights doing a little research yesterday. Back to James Gandolfini. It was the complexity that Gandolfini brings to his role, that scene stealer True Romance role, that was intriguing to audiences and impressive to critics both. He was a sinister character with an evil core, but appeared charming and friendly. Gandolfini made you see and feel his humanity while also making you fear his cold and brutal side. That's kind of a flex for an actor. Mm -hmm. It was this multidimensional performance of a complicated character that would be the precursor to his later role of Tony Soprano, which would make him one of the world's biggest stars. Gandolfini continues to make several movies in the early 1990s and was noticed again in 1995 for his stellar performance in Get Shorty. His IMDb resume shows that he was a pretty busy actor in the 1990s, but he was not really at making a name for himself with general audiences. However, James Gandolfini had made an impression in Hollywood, and on casting directors, 
and that will soon lead him to becoming a bigger star than he could have even imagined, as it is in 1999 that James Gandolfini first comes into American homes on HBO's The Sopranos, and his life would never be the same. Nor would television, to be honest. Uh, just I remember how huge that show was. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, in order to get him divorced, we need to get James to his first marriage. Sure. 1999, year four Sopranos, big deal. 1999 was also a big year for James Gandolfini and his personal life as well. That was the year he got married for the first time. James Gandolfini met Marcy Widarski in 1995. James hired Marcy as his personal secretary. Marcy Widarski said, quote, he was nobody when we met. I was working between jobs, working for a movie company, and my friend suggested I be a part-time helper to do some piddling things for, quote, this actor you've never heard of who's made a couple of nothing movies, <laughs> unquote. <laughs> Soon after Marcy started working for Gandolfini, the two began dating. Sparks flying. They move in together in an apartment in New York City's West Village. It sounds so nice. It does. Back in 1999, they will marry in a small and private ceremony. He probably felt like, hey, I've finally got steady work. Making it happen. Yeah, like I can afford to provide a life for us. So let's do it now. Steady work, 1999. First marriage, 1999. James Gandolfini also became a parent in 1999. Okay, so there may have been a few reasons to walk down that aisle. When he and Marcy had their son, born just a few months after they married. Mm, interesting. Now, once The Sopranos takes off during the first season of that same year, everything changes for our couple. Obviously, being newlyweds and new parents, and now... James Gandolfini being the famous main star of one of the biggest hits on television, you can imagine was a lot for mm -hmm. our couple to adjust to. It does not take long before the marriage was very strained. Hmm. Yeah, that overnight success that so many people we've profiled have spent years working towards, and then it arrives and it crashes their life. Not only that, there's some additional complications. So, although the public was unaware of it at the time, James Gandolfini's co-stars and others who worked with him on The Sopranos have since acknowledged that Gandolfini struggled with the misuse of drugs and alcohol. As his wife and mother of his child, Marcy found it extremely challenging to handle the ups and downs of her husband's addictions especially when coupled with his long and demanding work hours. So you kind of have everything happening all at once here right. in a situation. Worst of all worlds where he's gone a lot. And when he's present with your new baby, he may, he may not quite be himself. In February 2001, so not very long mm -hmm. after that big 1999 year, Gandolfini moved out of the mansion the couple shared. Hmm. Instead of this being a trial separation, though, Gandolfini never returned. And then things got even uglier. We're going to talk about that after a quick break. Hear a word from our sponsors. We'll see you on the flip. 
Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, Alicia, let's talk about how it gets uglier. Well, not only does Marcy make James's alleged drug use public. Ooh. She also accuses him of having several affairs, including with exotic dancers. Mm. Marcy reportedly hired private detectives, mm. plural, to follow James to different cities to see if he was still using drugs and alcohol so that she could use that as evidence against him in court. And to make the case for her to have custody of their young son. She doesn't want him to have joint custody. And that's fair. Mm. If you're in the throes of addiction, you... True. I mean, you would want maybe supervised, but yeah. Marcy's doing the right thing for her kid. The National Enquirer Uh reveals that Gandolfini had been committed to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center in 1998. So this was even before they got married. Right. Gandolfini's spokesman, Dan Cloris, shot back and accuses Marcy of leaking this story to get a better settlement from James Gandolfini. Dan Cloris says, quote, To bring it up now as an attempt to gain leverage and a better settlement during the divorce is just reprehensible. These types of situations under these circumstances are best resolved with decency, not greed. It also indicates that he had been working to get and stay sober for quite a while. I don't think this is a yeah. found. I mean, sobriety is hard. It's it, it is it's a tough thing, and, and, as is divorce, especially when there's a young child involved. Marcy's lawyer isn't quite done. Marcy's lawyer has a comment to James Gandolfini's lawyer. Oh, I'm sure. Marcy's lawyer tells the Daily News that the allegations that appeared in the National Enquirer came not from court filings, but from, quote, attorney-client correspondence that was private, unquote. He denied leaking the privileged information, Marcy's lawyer says, I have no idea how the Enquirer Obtain these papers, I'm extremely annoyed. I certainly did not receive a payout for that. (laughs) (laughs) In October 2002, so this is a year and a half after Gandolfini moves out never to return, Gandolfini does admit that he has a problem with cocaine and alcohol. Gandolfini 
did admit that he had a problem with cocaine and alcohol a few years earlier. A friend of Gandolfini tells the New York Daily News and the New York Post that the rehab allegation was also true, with the friend saying it's something from years ago that he's taken care of. He was in rehab four years ago. He came out. Occasionally, he would go back in. The guy has been drug-free for some time. Gandolfini will claim that it was Marcy's emotional instability and volatile nature that destroyed their marriage. Marcy says it was your drug and alcohol misuse. There's a differing opinions from, from each spouse here. Back and forth allegations, yes. In a 2013 book by Brett Martin called Difficult Men, Behind the Scenes of a Creative Revolution, Brett Martin writes, Gandolfini's wife described increasingly serious issues with drugs and alcohol, as well as arguments during which the actor would repeatedly punch himself in the face out of frustration. Wow. Unquote. Yeah, that's... This one's pretty heavy. Gandolfini's rep had refuted Marcy's claims during their bitter divorce battle back in 2002, describing Marcy's allegations as, quote, the ramblings of a disgruntled ex-wife apparently looking for a payday, unquote. This is per The Telegraph. The publicist also said that the New Jersey native's battle with drugs and alcohol, again, quote, was a problem that existed in the past, unquote. Now, there's a lot there. And it's nice to say that was a problem that existed in the past, but that apparently didn't seem to be totally true. Mm-hmm. While Marcy's particular claim of Gandolfini repeatedly punching himself in the face was not substantiated, his erratic behavior was certainly noticed by others who worked alongside him on The Sopranos. And even Gandolfini himself acknowledged that the role of Tony Soprano took a toll on him. Yeah, I can understand that. Obviously, his performance as Tony Soprano was spectacular, but on the other side, it also drained him because he was so committed to the role that he often didn't know how to separate himself from the character. Former HBO executive Chris Albrecht said, It wasn't just that he was playing an evil man. It's that some of Tony's flaws, a temper and indulgence in his vices, were ones he shared. Tony's struggles not only mirrored Jimmy's struggles, they amplified Jimmy's struggles and what Jimmy felt. Even the show's success weighed on him. Gandolfini preferred privacy, and his newfound fame didn't mix well with that. In order to become Tony, he had to connect with his darkest side. The cost of him playing Tony was beyond what just being an actor would be. To do it was for him to connect with his own demons. Yeah, I haven't seen much of The Sopranos, but I definitely can understand that that would be taxing. Now, having said that, James Gandolfini was uniformly loved as a kind and generous man, but a man that was tremendously affected by the role he was playing. Mm -hmm. During a 2015 appearance on the Meredith Vieira show, Co-star Lorraine Bracco, mm-hmm. previous TD alum, described her late colleague as, quote, sweet, loving, he was a good guy, 
If he liked you, he would give you that bear hug and not let you go. He was always a pal, unquote. Writer and producer Terrence Winter described it this way. James Gandolfini was not Tony Soprano. James was a kind and funny person, but Tony got into his head and lived there for nine months. That was exhausting in a lot of different ways. And Lorraine Bracco played his analyst on the show, correct? correct? Yeah, that dynamic, that was part of the genius of The Sopranos was that, you know, Tony was in therapy and really working through significant demons. They probably had a very interesting relationship outside of playing those characters together, I would guess. I think we'll see a little bit more of that later. I have a little bit coming on The Sopranos, but I want to finish James up with Mm -hmm. this first marriage. Okay. So it is after only three years of marriage that James Gandolfini secretly files for divorce in March 2002. So they've already been fighting in the papers. Okay. But he moved out. I don't know how secret it is. You moved out a year and a half ago. Between the time of the actual divorce filing and the divorce being finalized, things did seem to calm down between the exes. They were able to finalize their divorce without going to trial. Manhattan Judge Judith Gishy finalized their divorce in December 2002. The divorce was ruled in Marcy's favor. Apparently, the divorce was granted on grounds of abandonment. Wow. We haven't seen grounds of abandonment uh, Oh, in a while. no, it's because New York hadn't, they didn't have an irreconcilable, irretrievable breakdown, I think is the New York term, but that only came into effect like in 08 or 2010 or so, something. So, yeah, that would have been previous to that law. Yeah, that's interesting. People magazine reported that Judge Gishy, who had also presided over the bitter split between ex-New York mayor Rudolph Giuliani and Donna Hanover. Oh, boy. One of your favorites. Yep. Said, quote, I'm going to grant the final judgment of divorce in favor of the defendant and against James Gandolfini. The settlement details were not disclosed, but after the divorce was final, the two appeared to be getting along again. This actually speaks to the hiring of private detectives as well, because like if she had wanted to, you would have had to file on the grounds of something other than this just isn't working, Mm -hmm. which is what no fault is. So if she was trying to substantiate adultery, for instance, or whatever, she would need proof. And yeah, anyway, it's a lot easier now and you don't have to have PIs to make a divorce work in New York state anymore. How far we've come. (laughs) Again, Marcy and James, the two don't take it, I guess, to the brutal end. They decide to get along again. According to the Associated Press, quote, both lawyers of the two parties agreed that the divorce was an amicable one, with Gandolfini's attorney claiming it to be one of the friendliest I've ever seen, and it was done in almost record time. It is entirely possible that the fighting in the press was orchestrated between them in order to substantiate a ground. The reason that no fault came into effect was basically to eliminate fraud from the process. Yeah. Because couples were having to come up with reasons why 
it just wasn't working, but that's that wasn't enough to get a divorce. So anyway, continue. As Gandolfini leaves the courthouse, he will tell reporters, it's over. Everyone loves each other very much. And then he puts his arm around one of his attorneys and says, this is my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great because they, they share a child. And that is what you want for people who are going to be raising a child together, even if they're divorced. That's exactly right. So and, that and, one, and congrats on his new relationship with right? his lawyer boyfriend. <laughs> this is my boyfriend. His name is Karma. <laughs> All right. Goodness. I think now is a great time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how that Tony Soprano character impacted James Gandolfini, his second marriage, mm. and his tragic yeah. early ending. We'll be right back. All right, Sopranos fans, this is your day to shine. Let's talk about how the character of Tony Soprano really did impact James Gandolfini. Because we see actors, actresses, performers, oh, I, you know, they take a character to heart. They become the character. It can influence them in maybe negative ways, maybe sometimes positive ways. The Sopranos, as a... <laughs> series changed television for a whole lot of reasons. As mentioned before, it was the beginning of a morally ambiguous protagonist. Uh, these characters, again, have become quite popular. The Sopranos also showed the complexity of a human being instead of just showing a mob boss as the head of a criminal family planning heists and ordering mm -hmm. hits. Tony Soprano's family life was featured even more heavily in the show's plot lines. And those dynamics really illustrated the multidimensional aspects that every person has. In one scene, you'd see Tony Soprano perpetrating horrible acts. And in the next scene, you'd see him come home and not know how to handle a rebellious and angsty teenager. Sure. Yeah, prior to this, I think most mob bosses had no qualms about the extreme violence that their character, right? Like that was typically how they were portrayed. This was a different approach. Right. You'd see him at a strip club having affairs, but then also see him trying to do small things that would make his wife feel happy and loved. Yeah. I remember there was a bunch of ducklings that were arriving in his swimming pool and he, he became extremely attached to them and kind of panicked when they, when they like flew off to go be ducks. It was a very interesting show. Let's talk about one of the most interesting relationships in The Sopranos. This is one between Tony and his diabolical mother. Oh, complications. When Tony's around his mother, he's no longer the feared mob boss at all. He's a little boy longing for his mother's approval that he is never, ever, ever going to get. In character, Tony Soprano says to his mother in a moment of real awareness of who she was. Everybody thought dad was the ruthless one, but I got to hand it to you. If you'd been born after those feminists, you would have been the real gangster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he will tell Lorraine Bracco's character, Dr. Melfi, about the complex relationship he has with his mom. I mean, this is all Imago, right? Tony Soprano in character tells Dr. Melfi, this is going to sound stupid, but I saw at one point that our mothers are bus drivers. No, they're the bus. See, they're the vehicle that gets us here. 
They drop us off and go on their way. They continue on their journey. And the problem is, is that we keep trying to get back on the bus instead of just letting it go. (laughs) Props to the writers, too. (laughs) So the creator of the show, David Chase, was genius in how he decided to allow the audience insights into Tony Soprano's inner mind and thoughts. A critical element of the show, as mentioned, was Tony's relationship with his psychiatrist, played by Lorraine Bracco. In their sessions, you saw all sides of Tony's personality as well as his pathologies. He was at times vulnerable and depressed, sometimes angry and repressed. At all times, he was complicated, confused, and trying to make sense of the experiences in his past and present, all while trying to justify to himself the life he was leading. I mean, welcome to the human drama. Mm -hmm. We are all (laughs) anti-heroes. It is sort of interesting to see where Tony Soprano, the character, will connect to the actor, James Gandolfini, and what happens from there. We've seen this a few times play out in real life on our podcast. James Gandolfini becomes Tony Soprano. To the audiences, for sure, but it sounds like he became the character to himself as well. He was so real in the role that fans of the show feel like they're almost voyeurs into a real person's life. And I think for Gandolfini, getting so close to his character definitely stirred up some of his own demons. The notoriety of playing such a beloved and recognizable character made James Gandolfini uncomfortable and sometimes unable to enjoy his personal life. He does struggle with excessive use of drugs and alcohol while filming The Sopranos. Now, many members of the cast drank heavily with each other, which makes it a difficult setting to, say, practice moderation. Yeah, or to maintain hard-won sobriety. Gandolfini also clearly had some physical health issues that were complicated by the role as well. A large part of his character was the constant eating and drinking, uh, a lifestyle of excess, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And throughout the series, Gandolfini continues to gain weight. And by the last few seasons, it's clear that even he was having trouble breathing, labored breath could be heard on the show. Edie Falco also recalls, I had a conversation with Jim once where he was in very bad shape. He said to me, they don't understand what this does to me doing this show and where I have to go. According to a GQ article, Gandolfini would actually go missing for several days while shooting The Sopranos. In January 2002, while shooting season four, he, quote, failed to show up to the set for three days and no one was able to contact him, unquote. Oh, that has to be terrifying. Terrifying. Well, writer and producer Terrence Winter remembers that during those three days, he had heard a radio broadcast about a tragedy in Hollywood while driving. Oh, God. And Terrence Winter says it was some drummer for a band, but I thought, holy shit, he's dead. Wow. Now, James Gandolfini's guilt would get the better of him when he doesn't show up and causes delays and disruptions when shooting. He'd often come with a bag of lavish gifts for cast and crew to make up for that behavior as an apology. Since his death, it has been revealed that David Chase and other producers were really concerned only about Gandolfini staying alive, quote unquote. 
and admitted that occasionally he would go on a bender or a coke binge. We had to stop production. I was going to ask if we think that was relapse. Yeah. Okay. Former HBO CEO Jeff Bukas said, It costs a lot of money and it was hard on the other actors' schedules. Adding that he didn't pressure Albrecht about Gandolfini missing work because he thought Jimmy was embarrassed. Chris Albrecht called the network's relationship to Gandolfini a quote, love-hate thing, and spoke about the disastrous intervention with the actor. Oh, no. Chris Albrecht recalls, quote, We had an intervention with him in my apartment in New York. The intervention wasn't my idea. I think his family's idea, because his sister was there. It was definitely a crisis situation. Hmm. Even with his chaotic and erratic behavior, Gandolfini must have had more good traits than bad because all the cast, all the crew, talk about him very affectionately as a person and as an actor. When Gandolfini died at a young age, many of them were heartbroken. The Sopranos did end in June 2007 with one of the most talked about and controversial series finales ever. By all accounts, James Gandolfini was... Pretty happy <laughs> to be free of playing the complicated mob boss sounds, and was... Sounds like, yeah. Pretty eager to work on some new projects. Uh-huh, maybe something a little lighter. <laughs> Unfortunately, James Gandolfini does not live long enough to see if he would have been able to break out of that type casting and if audiences would ever think of him as anyone other than Tony Soprano. Aw, so his new series Puppies and Butterflies was never to be... Sometimes the greatest films of all time are never made. A little bit of good news, I guess, but a little bittersweet. We're getting to the yay, second marriage, Mm. but also death part of Mm. our story. It comes for us all. It is in 2008, right after, like, year after Sopranos, James Gandolfini marries for the second time to his longtime girlfriend, Deborah Lynn. This marriage takes place in Hawaii. The couple had dated for two years before tying the knot. A guest will tell People magazine, There was a nice big kiss at the end with both hands on the cheeks. They looked great. (laughs) James's son from his first marriage was eight years old at the time. He served as his best man. Oh, good. In October of 2012, the couple welcomed a daughter. (laughs) I know. I mean, knowing how it ultimately, how this story ultimately ends, it's all too bad, but hey. Take the good times when you can. Yep. Yeah, because less than a year later, the world would be stunned when James Gandolfini passed away at the age of 51. On June 19th, 2013, comes the shocking and sad report that James Gandolfini had died suddenly while vacationing in Rome with his son. He had a heart attack in his hotel bathroom after enjoying an extravagant dinner earlier in the evening. His 13-year-old son found him and called for help. Gandolfini was reportedly alive when he was taken to the hospital but died soon after. His managers released the following statement. It is with immense sorrow that we report our client, James Gandolfini, passed away today while on holiday in Rome, Italy. Our hearts are shattered and we will miss him deeply. He and his family were a part of our family for many years, and we are all grieving. 
At the time of his death, James Gandolfini had received 19 acting awards with more than 50-5-0 nominations. Wow. Including three Emmys, three Screen Actors Guild Awards, and a Golden Globe for his work on The Sopranos. At the time of his death, tributes naturally start Mm -hmm. pouring in. Edie Falco says in a statement, He was a man of tremendous depth and sensitivity, with a kindness and generosity beyond words. I consider myself very lucky to have spent 10 years as his close colleague. My heart goes out to his family. The love between Tony and Carmela was one of the greatest I've ever known. Hmm. Actor Steve Van Zant, who played Tony Soprano's confident Silvio Dante, felt equally close to Gandolfini in real life. Steve Van Zant posts on Twitter, I've lost a brother and a best friend. The world has lost one of the greatest actors of all time. Gandolfini's funeral was an enormous event attended by all of his Sopranos co-stars and many other loved ones. One of the people that eulogized him was Sopranos creator David Chase, who later makes a statement about Gandolfini, his friend, saying, He was a genius. Anyone who saw him, even in the smallest of his performances, knows that. He is one of the greatest actors of this or any time. A great deal of that genius resided in those sad eyes. I remember telling him many times, you don't get it. You're like Mozart. He wasn't easy sometimes, but he was my partner. He was my brother in ways I can't explain and Hmm. never will be able to explain. 51 is so young. So young. Mm Mm-hmm. Got a nice little bit here because it, I mean, sad story. Yeah. But here for James Gandolfini, his hometown named a street after him. As a teenager, Jimmy, best looking class flirt, would hang out in his hometown of Park Ridge on Park Avenue at this place called the Ridge Diner. And after he was famous, Gandolfini would still come back home and even bring his son to the Ridge Diner and Tell him tales of his childhood. In December 2013, Park Ridge dedicated a stretch of Park Avenue to their native son, James Gandolfini. Many of his Soprano co-stars showed up, as well as his wife and children. One of his co-stars, Dominic Chianese, took the stage and simply said, All I can say is thank God that Jimmy Gandolfini was in my life. The owner of the Ridge Diner, Mike Miadanis remembered that Gandolfini, as a boy, would come with his family for breakfast every Sunday. In a March 2004 New Jersey monthly cover story, Gandolfini was asked where his hangouts were as a teenager, and he said, I hung out at the Ridge Diner in town. This magazine cover... Oh, I bet. (laughs) ...signed by James Gandolfini hangs on the wall Uh of the Ridge Diner. Mike Miadanis, the owner of the diner, says about James Gandolfini. He was a humble man. He was so kind to everyone. He never turned away his fans seeking autographs. You could never tell he was a big star. Hmm. Well, what a sad tale that ended up being. An alternate kind of godfather? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Softer kind of godfather. I mean, I don't know. I mean, know. yes and no. I mean, he, yeah. Again, I haven't seen all of The Sopranos for sure, but certainly a complex character in a show full of complex characters change television history that's for sure james Mm -hmm. gandolfini with a little bit of trash on the side 
I'm not comfortable delivering trash cans. Fair. I do really wonder, though, if that first divorce, some of that, like, public conflict, was that orchestrated in order to facilitate a divorce on grounds because they didn't have the option of a no-fault divorce? Perhaps. I may give some halos to the cast and crew of The Hmm. Sopranos because it really is a challenging thing to... Stand along somebody working through those Mm. types of things. I can imagine that made the set a little bit more complicated. I'm sure. I'm sure. Also super sad that his 13-year-old son be present for uh, the end there. Yeah, this was not exactly an uplifting episode of Trashy Mm. Divorces. I think we're going to come back this weekend with a little bit of nostalgia that will warm your heart in a delightful way. Thus wrapping up our uh, Godfather mini arc here. (laughs) I've had that story for a long time. I figured if there was ever a time to get it in, this week was the time. Sure. Where's the Aaron Spelling (laughs) tie-in? Friends, thanks everybody for coming to hang out with us this week for this episode of Trashy Divorces. We really appreciate you being here and all the support that you lend to us and the podcast. Telling your friends, your kind reviews, your awesome emails, your support over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces, getting ad-free early episodes, bonus episodes, all the goodies over there. We just think the world of you and your trashy hearts. We really do. And we love doing this for you each week. We are so excited that you make time for us in your ears. Ain't that the truth? Until we meet again. Darlings, keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy, friends. Big love, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.